is from Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 11 through 13. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Do me a favor, friends, pull out your Connections journal. It looks like this. It's in your bulletin. This is a guide for your prayer and study through the week, and it is going to be in your bulletin every Sunday from here on out. We hope that you use it. We hope it's helpful to you. You'll notice as you read, all of the Scripture texts are related to the very thing that we're talking about on Sunday morning. You'll notice on the flip side, it's mostly blank. If it helps you to make notes during the sermon, please do that. Some of us learn better by writing down ideas you might then take this and tuck it in your Bible as you leave the service on Sunday and use it throughout the week. Notice on the other side, it's events and happenings, things that are going on in the life of the church. So you get a two-for-one here. Events and happenings on one side, Connections Journal on the other. We want to be good stewards and save paper that way. But uh, please hold on to that. We'll come back to this later in the sermon. So imagine with me, if you would, you have a project to do at your house. you got chores to do. That's not hard to imagine, right? What do you think Saturdays are for? So let's say you need to fix one of the gutters. So you get the ladder out of the garage or out of the shed. Now this is the big ladder, right? This is the extension ladder, uh, the really long one. So it takes a while to get it out. You've got to maneuver it, you know, around the kids' bikes and over the lawnmower, and it's heavy. So you sort of drag it out of where it is stored, and you drag it out around to the front of the house, and you get to where you need to be, and you set it on the ground, and you raise it up and lean it against the house, and then you climb and you climb and you climb, and finally you get to the top. And just then you realize that the place you need to fix is actually on the other side of the house. And how do you feel? It's embarrassing, right? Or you're aggravated. Oh, So you go down the ladder and you pick it up and you drag it around the other side of the house and you put it where it needs to go for real this time, and you climb up and you finally get to your chore. hate it when that happens, don't you? Now imagine for a moment that the ladder is not just a ladder, but the ladder is your life. And climbing to the top is not just a matter of a few moments. It takes years and years and decades and decades to get to the top. And now imagine that you've come to the top of your ladder. And you have come to the end of your life. And after years and years and decades and decades of climbing, you realize your ladder is against the wrong wall. Now how do you feel? My friends, this is what's at stake. Your life is what's at stake because you only get one. Now, at least this side of heaven, you only get one life to live. So we need to be sure that our ladders are leaned up against the right wall. We need to be sure that the thing that's waiting for us at the top, the thing that we're pursuing, is the right thing, the God-ordained thing that we actually want in our lives. You see, my job as your pastor is to remind you that one day you are going to die. Now, aren't you glad you came to worship today to hear that? Oh, thanks, Pastor. Wow, you really warmed my heart with that one. 
It's true though, right? It could be tomorrow. It could be 50 years from now. But that is the truth. I'm going to die and you are going to die. And so we need to think very seriously. When we come to the end of our lives, what do we want to have accomplished? What do we want our obituaries to say about us? What do you want to have done with this one wild and precious life that God has given to you? Welcome to week two of our series, Dare to Dream. If you missed last week's sermon, let me strongly encourage you, go to our church website and listen to the sermon that you missed. During these six weeks, we are discovering a God-sized mission for our lives. We are dreaming big dreams for God and imagining together the kind of life toward which God has called each of us. And during this series, I'm very excited because you are going to actually write a mission statement for your life, a life mission statement that captures this idea of God's call for you and what that looks like uniquely and particular to you. Now, there's a premise for this series. There's a basic idea that we all have to get and agree on if you're going to get the message of this series. And the premise is this. Mission is not a program of the church. Mission is a way of life for the disciples of Jesus Christ. It's what we do every day. It's who we are day in and day out. It's how we live. And so we have to be careful about saying things like, well, I'm on mission this week. Because is it possible for the disciples of Jesus to be off mission? Well, oh, I just, I really don't feel like being a disciple today. So, you know, I'll just sort of phone it in. No, my friends, we are always on mission. It's not on or off. We are always on mission. Mission is a way of life for the disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, what is that mission? Well, that's what we're here to talk about. Jesus has a mission for the church corporately. And we read it in Matthew 28. Do you know what it is? Our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That is the mission that Jesus has given to His church. Now, that's the whole church's mission, our mission together corporately. Each of us has some particular, some unique slice of that mission that is based on the call that God has for each of us in our lives. And that's what we're talking about during this series. What is your unique part to contribute to our corporate mission to make disciples? What is the dream that God has laid in your heart? What is the plan that God has for your life? It is my great joy to walk with you on this journey of discovery as we discern together what God's dream looks like. Last week we talked about clues. Clues that God gives us to see and imagine what that dream really is all about. Clues to the mission. Last week we said two of the clues are restlessness, and people we admire. Restlessness and people we admire. And today I have a third clue for you. Are you ready? The third clue is spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. One of the ways you can realize your God dream is by your spiritual gifts. What are spiritual gifts? Well, there's something like Christmas gifts. I remember one Christmas my mamma opened a package. Now this was my dad's mom. We called her mamma. So mamma unwrapped the gift and it was sitting on her lap. It was rather large. And she looked at it but she had no idea what it was. It had buttons and knobs on it. It was sort of a square, kind of boxy shape. Uh, it had a, a, a screen on the front, um, kind of a panel. And she said, oh, well, is it a television? No, Mama, it's not a television. Well, what is it, she said. It was a microwave. 
Mamaw had never owned a microwave before. Now, it was inconceivable to me as someone born in the mid-70s that you could live without a microwave, but Mamaw had done very well, thank you very much, for many, many decades without a microwave, but she had no idea what it was. Now, for us as Christians, spiritual gifts can be the same way, right? God gives us these gifts, but we're not always sure what they are. We're not always sure how to use them. So let's start with the basics. What are spiritual gifts? A spiritual gift is the supernatural enabling of the Holy Spirit, which equips disciples for the work of service and ministry. Let me say that again. A spiritual gift is the supernatural enabling of the Holy Spirit, which equips disciples for their work of service and ministry. In other words, spiritual gifts are particular abilities given to particular people for the work of the gospel. What kinds of gifts does the Spirit give? Well, we read from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. He said some would be apostles, some would be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, and on and on. Other places in the New Testament, it says that spiritual gifts include things like encouragement, generosity, leadership, faith, healing, miracles, speaking in tongues, the interpretation of tongues, compassion, wisdom, knowledge, and the list goes on. Now, what do you want to take away from that? Well, I hope you'll take away at least one thing. Notice that in that list of gifts, only one of those gifts is pastor. Only one of those gifts is pastor. I think sometimes we tend to think that the only one with spiritual gifts is the person standing behind this pulpit. That, oh yes, that's the hired Christian who we pay to do the work of the church. No, 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 my friends. My job is to lead you out into the world to transform this world with God's love. And toward that end, God gives all of us spiritual gifts. God gives all of us spiritual gifts. I take great pride in this idea that we call the priesthood of all believers. It's the idea that all believers are priests. And you say, oh, I'm not a priest. Yes, you are. A priest is simply someone who connects people to God. Your job is to help connect people to God, to be a witness for Jesus Christ in the world. And so all of us are priests. All of us work for Jesus in the world in this way. In talking about spiritual gifts, in his letter to the Corinthians, Paul wrote, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In other words, to every believer, God gives a spiritual gift, at least one. Some of you have many, many spiritual gifts. And my hope is that as we go through this, you'll figure out what those are. What is the purpose of these gifts? Again, Ephesians 4 tells us the purpose of the spiritual gifts. Quote, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. So let's break that down a little bit. Let's go in a reverse order, okay? To bring us, Paul says, to maturity, to the full measure of the stature of Christ. In other words, spiritual gifts are given so that we can grow up in Jesus, so that we can mature in our faith and become more like Jesus every day of our lives. Until all of us come to the unity of the faith, Paul says. Spiritual gifts are given, my friends, so that we can learn to depend on one another. Now, as Americans, all of us were told that independence is this great value, but a gospel value is interdependence. 
We need to learn how to rely on one another. Because here's the thing. You don't have all the gifts. I don't have all the gifts. But together, we have all the gifts that we need to accomplish the goal that Jesus has given us. And Paul says to equip the saints. Do you know who the saints are? That's you. That's you. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. And I want you to hone in on that word ministry for a moment. The word that we translate as ministry comes from the Greek word diakonia, which literally means servant. So we could read it, to equip the saints for the work of service. This is another clue. Here's a fourth clue to your call. Your call is going to have something to do with service. God has created you to serve God and to serve your neighbor. These are clues to what your call actually looks like. Do me a favor. Again, pull out your Connections Journal. Take a look with me at Thursday. On Thursday it says, Discovering a God-sized mission for my life. And then there's a couple questions. Notice, what experiences of serving have been most fulfilling to me? What group or of people or what organization can I imagine serving for God's glory? And then it says, record your thoughts. Write down the answers to these questions. Again, these are clues to your call. What does serving look like in your life? Where are those places in your life when you've been just really fulfilled by the opportunity to serve other people? I hope you'll spend some time this week praying about that thinking about that, writing down your answers. And then you're going to compile your notes from each week of this series. And finally, after six weeks, you'll be able to craft a mission statement based on these notes that you've made. It's a question of identity, my friends. All Christians are called to the ministry of Christ. No doubt about it. We know that already, right? That's why we're here. What we want to discover is, what is your particular brand of ministry? What is your particular call? For ministry, you need to be able to recognize your own brand, your own call for ministry. There's something uh, that advertising people know instinctively. Advertising people know this very well, and it is this the greater the brand recognition, the more success they will have, right? Now, the same is true for us. The greater we recognize our own brand for ministry, the more likely we're going to be effective in ministry for Jesus Christ. Let me show you what I mean. Take a look at this logo that we have for you on the screen. This is a logo with the words removed and the color removed, and yet I wonder if any of you recognize it. Anybody recognize what this logo is? Say it out loud. What is it? Harley-Davidson. Harley-Davidson motorcycle. So here it is with the color and the words added in. One of the most recognizable brands in the world, right? Now, how many of you enjoy riding motorcycles? Several of you. Now, if you are a rider, especially, pray for our brother Steve Lacey, who wrecked his motorcycle this past week. He's doing okay, but he's banged up and he's resting at home. Um, we, we enjoy riding motorcycles, though, right? And Harleys, in particular, they're not the fastest bikes, are they? But they are some of the most popular, and some would say they're the best. I wouldn't ride anything else. Now, here's something you may not know about Harley-Davidson. If you talk to their corporate executives, they will tell you they're not really selling motorcycles. You know what they're selling? A brand. They are selling an identity. It turns out that the profit margins on the motorcycles themselves are razor thin. Where Harley really makes its money is on all the accompanying stuff that comes with it. T-shirts and drinking glasses and pool tables. You see, they're not just selling bikes, are they? They are selling a lifestyle. They are selling a lifestyle. How many of you have ever seen a Harley-Davidson t-shirt or jacket? 
How many of you have ever seen a Harley Davidson tattoo? How many of you have a Harley Davidson tattoo? I'm just, I'm just kidding. You don't have to show us your tattoos in church. That's, that's a different church. <laughs> so here's the thing. Harley Davidson is very clear about their brand. They're very clear about what they're selling. Motorcycles, yes, but even more importantly, the lifestyle. So what I'm suggesting is, what's this have to do with the mission of the church, Brad? Well, we need a similar clarity about our mission. We need a similar clarity about our identity. What is our unique purpose? How are we using the gifts that God has given us so we can be in service to Jesus Christ? My friends, God is giving each of us a dream, and I want you to be clear about the dream that God is giving you. Like the dream that God gave to Jacob. We talked last week about Jacob and the dream that God gave to him. Jacob dreamed of a ladder of a staircase, and on the ladder there were angels, he says, ascending and descending, going up and down. They were climbing the ladder. Have you noticed the phrase climbing the ladder has a negative connotation in our society? Especially when you add the word corporate, as in uh, people who climb the corporate ladder, you know, they're the selfish ones, they'll, they'll step on their coworkers or do anything to get to the top, they'll, they'll sacrifice they'll, their children, you know, they're driven by money and power and success. And so the idea of climbing the ladder has a bad rap, doesn't it? But Jacob's ladder gives us a different way to think about it, a different way to think about progress in life. There's an old spiritual song, I wonder if you know it, it's called, We Are Climbing Jacob's Ladder. Do you remember that song? I used to sing it when I was a kid. And the lyrics say, We are climbing Jacob's ladder. We are climbing Jacob's ladder, soldiers of the cross. Every round goes higher and higher, soldiers of the cross. Sinner, do you love my Jesus? Soldiers of the cross. If you love him, why not serve him? Soldiers of the cross. And so if climbing the ladder means growing in Christ, if it means making progress in our faith, if it means pursuing excellence for God's sake, then by all means, friends, climb the ladder. Go for it. Go for it. As long as your ladder is against the right wall. As long as your ladder at the top of it is the thing that you really want to be pursuing after all. You need to make sure that what's at the top of your ladder is the right thing. Remember what was at the top of Jacob's ladder? Heaven. Heaven. The very presence of God was at the top of Jacob's ladder. My friends, is this not the goal? That we would be in deeper relationship with the God who loves us. That is what ought to be at the top of our ladders. My job as your pastor is to help keep you from getting to the end of your life only to realize that your ladder was against the wrong wall the whole time. My friends, there is a way to prevent this tragedy from happening. It's exactly what we're doing with this sermon series. We are working to discover your God-sized mission. Go back with me to your Connections Journal. Pull it out again. Put it in front of you. Notice what it says on Tuesday. It says we're going to read from Ephesians 4 and Romans 12, and 1 Corinthians 12. Now, you may know this. These are the places in the New Testament where it talks about spiritual gifts. And then some questions to go with it. Which of these spiritual gifts do I have, and how have I used them? Then on Wednesday, notice it says, Discovering a God-sized mission for my life, 
Take a spiritual gifts inventory. This week, you are going to take a spiritual gifts inventory. These are simple instruments with a, several dozen questions that will help you discern which of these gifts that Paul lays out in the, in the uh, New Testament do you have? So where are you going to find these spiritual gifts inventory? You're going to find them online, on the Internet. You say, oh, I don't have the Internet. One of your neighbors has the Internet. Go to their house. Say, can I borrow your computer, please? And you go to umc.org slash spiritual gifts. Or Google Acosta Ministries spiritual gifts. You say, what's a Google? Ask your grandkids. They will tell you. Do the spiritual gifts inventory and then write down your results. My friends, I promise this can be life-changing when you get clear with yourself about the gifts that God has given you for ministry. Write them down. Hold on to them. Then look on Friday. On Friday it says, discovering a God-sized mission for my life. What are the greatest needs in my community and in my world? How can I meet these needs? Again, write down your answers. So this is not only about your gifts that God has given you, but this is also about what the world around you needs from you that perhaps only you can uniquely provide and minister to. This is another clue to your God dream. I love the way that theologian Frederick Beekner puts it, and we're going to bring it all together with his quotation. He says, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Do you get it? My friends, this is your call. Your call is at the intersection of your gifts and your joy and your passion, the thing you love to do, and where that meets what the world around you needs from you. And at the intersection of those two things is the place that God is calling you. Think about that. There is a man in Miami that you've probably never heard of, but I want to tell you about him this morning because he's changing the world. He's changing the world one teenager at a time. His name is Gomez Lalo, and he is a soccer coach at Edison Senior High School in Miami, Florida. The high school is smack in the middle of a section of Miami called Little Haiti, and you can imagine why it's called that. So many of the families who live in that community came originally from Haiti. Many of these families came to the United States with very little except for dreams for a better life for their children, and that's what the coach is helping them to achieve. Coach Lolo said, when I took over the program, 99% of them were American kids of Haitian descent, which means college was not part of the discussion. So in his first year, Coach Lolo did something brave. He rented a van, and he piled the entire team into the van, and then he drove them to Georgia State University in Atlanta. Now, how far is Atlanta from Miami? It's about nine hours driving. So I want you to imagine driving nine hours in a van full of teenagers. Can you imagine that? If, if you've ever been on a youth mission trip, then yes, you can imagine that, right? So they get to Atlanta, and they can only afford one hotel room, so they all cram into the one hotel room, and the next day the coach takes them to soccer tryouts at the university, and wouldn't you know it, some of the players actually made the team, and some of the players were actually given scholarships to come to the university, and the coach was ecstatic. He was so excited. He was accomplishing his goal, but the kids were not. They weren't excited. None of them wanted to leave home. 
And they said to the coach, they said, you know, coach, I can't leave uh, because if I leave, uh, you know, I'm the only one here with my mom and she has nobody else. They were afraid to leave home for the sake of their mothers and their fathers. They were afraid to venture that far away from what they knew and understood. But the coach didn't give up. The coach was persistent. He kept pushing his players. He kept encouraging them. Coach Lolo said, I understand you want to be there for your parents, but if you really want to help your mom, if you really want to help, and you know she's struggling, the best way to do it is to move away, get a college degree, and then go back. You see, the kids in this high school, they have athletic talent, but the coach is not satisfied with teaching them soccer skills alone. There is a stern focus in this team on behavior and good grades. And before practice, the kids have to report to the library for tutoring. And they carry around a weekly progress report to every class. And at the end of the week, they have to turn it in to the coach so that he can see how they're doing academically. He works with these kids on their academic progress. He has shown them that what they do in the classroom is at least as important as what they do on the soccer field. And I want you to notice the difference that this man is making in the lives of these kids. This year, 14 Edison High School soccer players are going to college. 14 kids, where before none of those kids would have been going to college. Now they're going because of this man, because of this soccer coach. Now, they're having success on the soccer field, too. The boys have quietly become a local powerhouse, and they compete against travel teams that come and play them. And other teams have this way of reminding those boys uh, that they're still an underdog. But, you know, that just makes them more determined. The players said, uh, we know where we come from, and now we've got to work hard so that we can be something in life. This coach, Mr. Lolo, he was hired to teach these boys how to play soccer. That's his day job. But he's dreamed of something so much bigger, hasn't he? You see, his big, hairy, audacious God dream is to change the lives of these young men. His big, hairy, audacious God dream is to change the lives of their families and of this whole community by providing an education for these young people where before there was none. And there is no doubt he has altered the trajectory of these boys' lives forever. My friends, what is your God dream? What is your God dream? You know, a lot of people spend a lot of time and money and energy trying to figure out the secret to a happy life, the secret to a fulfilled life. Can I tell you something? It's no secret. It's no secret. It is your gifts and passions on the one hand, and it is your community's needs on the other. And at the intersection of those is the place God is calling you. And when you are living a life squarely in the center of God's call, you will have a peace. You will have a joy inside you to which nothing else compares.